Life support is nominal. The oxygen danger indicator level is yellow. Please remember that this is a non-smoking pirate ship. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gin Lounge. I'm John Breeden, your host for this episode of the show, and the chief lounge lizard here at GameIndustry.com. Today we're going to be talking about innovation, and I've got some really innovative people with me, so it should be a good show. So we've got our little thinking caps and our light bulbs on to talk about innovation. This show actually, I got the idea for this show because last week, I believe, or it might have been the the week before, uh, I did a show with Kelly, and we talked about innovations that were happening in the MMO world. She was playing a game called Ian, uh, A-I-O-N, which is uh, pretty neat. You actually are able to fly anywhere in the world after you hit level 10. You're, you're kind of like a regular slug type of person until you hit level 10, and then you can become an angel, a dark angel or a light angel, I believe. And uh, so if you can imagine uh, an MMO world where the designers don't just have to develop you know, this is the ground and this is the water, but actually a whole up and down world. It, it, sound, it sounds really interesting, and the gamers seem to be responding. I checked last night, and after the Aeon server had accepted my credentials, there was a three-and-a-half-hour wait list to get in to actually play the game. <laughs> so so people seem to like it, and that is what happened with Warcraft. So as long as that doesn't happen forever, I think gamers will forgive them if it's a really good game. But there are other stuff going on besides the world of MMOs, uh, as Todd Hargosh, who's one of my guests today, is often fond of saying, since he does not play the online games. But Todd, welcome to the lounge today. Hey, thank you for having me aboard. Sure thing, sure thing. And uh, Todd, uh, glad to see you're awake this week. <laughs> yeah, at least this time I was prepared. <laughs> Even though, uh, I will admit, though, before recording this, I've been playing Halo ODST. And that game nearly put me to sleep again. Oh man! Okay, well that now that's surprising because I have heard nothing from you except for Halo ODST for like three weeks. So right. it's 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 sad if it's if it's not going to be a great game. But we'll hear from you. Maybe uh maybe uh you can give us a quick report on it uh in in how it's not really that innovative as it was as it was built. Um, but we also have Nate Woolley with us. Nate Woolley is our publisher here at GameIndustry.com. He's been featured in other publications such as the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal writing about the business end of gaming. So Nate, welcome to the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. We, we appreciate you taking time from, from earning all those huge dollars to, uh, to come in and, and be in our little show. <laughs> It does keep everybody happy every two weeks. <laughs> so one of the things that I uh, was thinking about when we were doing this show was we were going to talk about innovation, and I thought that all the editors would just jump on the bandwagon and be like, wow, you're right. Let's let's talk about all the cool stuff we've seen lately. And to my surprise, although nothing should surprise me that much anymore with you guys, uh, a lot of you had some different different opinions on that. And Nate actually had an interesting theory about how games are related to literature, how they how they relate, and how the game industry isn't really doing its job to push the innovation ball forward. So, uh, Nate, why don't you explain that uh, to to wh- what you're thinking to the to the listeners, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, I was thinking, I've been playing a lot of D&D Online uh, since it went online a couple of weeks ago. DDO Online, it's it's very fun. Uh, and uh, It is, it is. My wife and I play it. It's been quite the uh, 
the family bonding thing. My nine-year-old wants to get into it. Now. I've mentioned to our listeners on a couple shows that uh, I'm I'm playing with a lot of the Jin game. We're on the our Ghostnian server, I believe it's called, and my character's name is Red Widow. So everybody, feel free to friend me, and uh, we're going to start a, a guild, I believe, called the Jin House. So, uh, so we'll uh, you're all welcome to join us there. Thanks gin and juice, guys. man. Gin and juice. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the real issue, uh, and it's not an issue, and I'm not trying to be critical here, but I was thinking about genres and how derivative things are. I mean, the, yeah, it's true that you know there is no new thing under the sun, but I was thinking of how much games owe to uh, to literature or to movies, or how much movies owe to literature. It just basic genres and and passings. I mean, I look at D&D online, and obviously that points to, you know, the tabletop, desktop Dungeons and & Dragons, and how much that owes to Tolkien. And that gets me thinking about, say, Morrowind or some of the other sword and sorcery games, Might and Magic, all that stuff. It all owes itself to that sort of epic fantasy literature. And then I start thinking about Halo and the shooters and that sort of stuff, and how much they owe to other things. And I was just kind of thinking of this. I mean, is this a lack of innovation? Is it, you know, a standard you know, sort of progression of a genre into a new media, and I thought it'd be something worth talking about. Well, that's true. I mean, it it makes sense, but uh, I mean, Nate, you you read a lot more. I mean, mostly when I read, I I read mostly as as you know, big thick history books, thousand plus pages on the history of World War II and so forth, and and so you know that's not really too innovative because uh, it's historical. You know, if it was innovative, yeah. it wouldn't be true, <laughs> most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cu- Curiously, in in your readings, I'm pretty certain you haven't noticed a single lone man in a castle killing Hitler in a giant mechanical, you know, chain gun bodysuit. Yeah, well, every time my wife sees me reading one of those tomes, uh, you know, that are put out by the Library of Congress or something, she always goes, "You know, we won." (laughs) Sorry to break it to you, but um, Eileen, Eileen, my wife does that about it for the Civil War. She's like. You know the ending's not going to change. <laughs> That's true, unless it's one of those turtle dove novels. But yeah, well, I read those too. Well, my question to you, Nate, is uh, you're you're not seeing a lot of innovation in the game industry, but in the books that you read, because you read a lot of comic books and also literature, do, are you seeing any innovation there, or is it sort of a been there, done that type of thing? A lot of it is, and and part of my disappointment with you know a great deal of things is that I don't see a lot of innovation. I, I don't see people breaking new ground, and that's why I get so encouraged by some things, you know, like the growth of alternate history uh, in literature. I mean, it, it's not high literature or anything, but at least it's kind of a different take on things. And I feel the same way about stuff like, you know, with The Sims. That was a new concept. And you can think the same thing. I mean, you go back, we riffed on uh, just a few seconds ago on Wolfenstein 3D, but, you know, that first time that first-person shooter popped up, and I had the chain gang, and I splashed somebody, and it made that blah sound or whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, that was new. That made me go, oh, that was awesome. I've never seen that before. That's true. I remember the first time I shot the uh, the German, and he yelled, mein Leben! I was like, <laughs> yeah, totally exactly. hooked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and and I'm, not, I'm not – again, I'm not trying to be critical. I mean, it's, it's a safe play to go over – ground you've already walked across you know it's like making a sequel in a movie you know you've got a built-in audience you do something that's you know starship troopers-esque and there's aliens and you're wearing powered suits and you kill aliens and blah 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 there's going to be a market for that that's fine you do something truly innovative 
Well, maybe you got some problems. There. That's true. Maybe you, maybe mm-hmm. you don't have a set uh, audience. Yeah. And innovation doesn't always pay off. It can pay off huge, like for The Sims. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't understand The Sims at all. I mean, I don't want to spend my time playing a game in which, you know, I'm, you know, having a life and getting up and, you know, turning off the electric, the alarm clock and going to work. You know, I do, I do that. <laughs> That's true. But, the, uh, it's so. interesting. The Sims, the latest thing that, but it's, it's worked for them. Well, the, you know, they've made a ton of money over the last eight or nine years. on That's it. true, but I, I've also seen you playing games that are billed as highly innovative that you didn't like. Like, for example, Spore was supposed to be one yeah. of the most innovative games out there, and you just you just found it completely boring. Yeah, I mean, I, I really look forward to that because I think uh, they were coming up with something really, you know, worth taking a look at. And, I mean, we bought it first day. I was excited about it. But, you know, innovation doesn't always work. You know, it's like an REM album. They're always trying something experimental, but sometimes it's just boring. Well, I know one of the things The Sims is doing, I've been seeing press releases, is that they are actually trying to make The Sims sort of more like a regular game and less like real life. Uh, they have a um, an expansion pack out now or coming out soon where you can build temples and, and have fire traps and chests and hidden doors and things like that, and then you can have other Sims go through it. It almost sounds like Neverwinter Nights, but for The Sims, I guess. So Yeah, and frankly, I thought highly of Neverwinter Nights mm-hmm. uh, for its build – you know, build your own dungeon and share it capability. That was cool, and I, I actually built a, a very good dungeon that I was very proud of. That uh, that was cool, and they were they were one of the first people to release the tools to let you build it. I mean, there are companies now like uh, Bethesda that they always release the tools now. I mean, there's tools out there so you can build Oblivion, Morrowind, Fallout Three uh, mods. You know, make your own dungeons, make your own levels, your own quests and things. And that that was that was innovative, I guess. Sort of giving the keys to the asylum to the inmates <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, I mean. I remember when uh, Doom came out, and we could do that, and I built a bunch of levels and sent them out there into the shareware-verse you know, a million years ago. Oh, neat. And, oh, yeah. and, th- and that was great. You know, it was fun. You could swap them. You could say, I built you a really, really unfair level. Good luck. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, Todd, what, what, do, what do you think about Nate's thing? I know you're uh, a little bit more um, usually favorable to games and stuff, although, I don't know, l- lately we were talking before the show, and it's, it sounds like a couple of the ones that you thought were going to be really innovative, like uh, ODST and so forth, it turns out hasn't haven't really been that great. And so far, I mean, like I said, when I've been playing with ODST, I mean, playing for like the last three hours and from what i see i mean it's pretty much a rehash of the uh of the previous titles mm-hmm. uh i mean originally it was supposed to be a halo 3 recon and from what i've been reading it's only an ex- the equivalent of an expansion pack that only has about five or six hours of gameplay hmm. there is talk about this uh multiplayer mode called firefight which i haven't tested out yet but the only catch is since i got my uh, copy from gamefly they only sent me the campaign disc. Oh, there's a, se- so there's a separate disc for multiplayer. Uh, I think it's like maps. Uh, Firefight looks like it's accessible from the main menu, mm-hmm. but I haven't had a chance to test that out. Okay. But mostly I've been a lot of games this year that I've been hoping to try to be innovative. Uh, another one was the uh, sequel to Bionic Commando. I was expecting that to be innovative because the original was such a classic. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it's considered one of the greatest NES games of the modern era. Now, did it, did also, it, I'm sorry, I wasn't familiar, I, I didn't unfortunately have an NES at the time. Did it, did it break new ground on, on the NES and, and why? 
Pretty much, because uh, the character wasn't for one thing, he wasn't able to jump. Hmm. He had to use his arm to go over obstacles. <laughs> but it was also known because it was very, it was a very controversial title. Really? Because back then, remember, Nintendo was very strict on their um, on their censorship policy. Mm-hmm. The game actually references Hitler. Oh, okay. Unintentionally, the guy's the character's name was Master D, but you see a picture of him. It's it's Hitler. <laughs> and it was also the first time. Um, I'll do it in a PG-13 sense. It was the first game I saw that actually includes swearing. Wow. It just well, it just said you damn fool, but still for that I was like, wow. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't conquer the squirrel. No, it wasn't. It was nowhere near that role. <laughs> well, now and the and the new one came out, and I guess you're expecting it to be innovative as well. And and what was what was wrong with it? It was just sort of a standard game. It was. It just felt like a linear shooter. But what really hurt me most about the game was the way they ruined the ending. Hmm. They took a twenty-year legacy and just flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> well, that's that's never good. Now, I I was reading your reviews. Um, I I I've, I don't know if they'll be up by the time this show posts. They should be though. Um, and I I read two of your reviews, Todd, and one of them was of the new Wolfenstein, and that one was sort of like you know same old same old. Nothing really new about that. Too. Yeah, the only innovation that had was um, it incorporated the spiritual world or the veil as they call it. But all it is is just allows you to see. Uh, through walls, allows you to power up your gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from that, it's still linear. They set the whole, uh, the main main part of the game in an open world map, but if you don't know where you're going in that, what's the use? That's true. It's like being... The comp, the comp is like, you go one direction, all of a sudden it just snaps to another location. Hmm. You have no clue where you're going. Well then, a game that you liked, that you actually think might be a contender for Game of the Year, and I've heard similar sentiments from other editors at Jin and also people outside Jin is is Batman Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. And that game had some 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 innovative moments in it, if you, if you want to relate what happened to you. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Well, remember when I had Bioshock a few years ago? Yeah, yeah. And I had the Red Ring of Death? Right, right. I thought Batman did that again. You're kidding, okay. I was like one part, I was about ready to, I think I was about ready to get the Joker, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the game just freezes up. Locks up, sounds frozen. Exact same effect that Bioshock did. So you're thinking, oh my god, I got the, Red Ring of Death. the game. The game's about to crash my system. <laughs> then... I'm, then the game goes to black for like ten seconds. Really? I check. I check my 360. It's still got a green quadrant as opposed to all red mm-hmm. or three reds, I should say. And then it cuts to the opening scene. I thought it erased my memory card. <laughs> it didn't. It had the Joker driving the Batmobile, holding Batman prisoner. <laughs> so he was like screwing with the game, basically. They re- they redid the entire intro from. With Batman being held hostage as opposed to the Joker. Really? See, that's awesome. <laughs> that that I mean, any games like that that mess with my head is worth playing. It's <laughs> one, it's, actually, this wasn't the first time this was done. There was a game on the uh, GameCube called Eternal Darkness that did the same thing. All of a sudden, it comes up with the blue screen of death saying your memory card has been erased. <laughs> that's awesome! Wow. I mean, it's that it's that fourth wall technology that I just enjoy. Well, in the in the fourth wall, you mean like in the theater where the the in the fourth wall in the theater is when the actor comes and addresses the audience and, and so right. forth. So, but this time, that's when it actually messes with your head. <laughs> well, Nate, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, would that be something that you would consider innovative? It sounds awesome. 
I mean, in, in terms of genres and mining established stuff, I mean, it's mining Batman. You know, that's fine. Um, but at least that's funny. <laughs> I mean, at, at least they're acknowledging, look, this is ludicrous. It's a video game. It's a guy dressed up as a damn bat. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I was thinking as, as uh, Todd was riffing on that, um, I remember Call of Duty 2 did something that utterly surprised me and gave me, you know, pluses or gave them pluses in my book. There's a, a there's a, a level where you're doing the, you know, whole bombers over Germany routine, mm-hmm. you know, thousand bombers over Cologne or whatever it's called. And you're running around and you're defending it and you're jumping and you're firing and blah, 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 fixing the plane, all this sort of stuff. And at the end, when it tells you you've, you've you know, finished the level, the plane breaks up. No, oh, I, I remember uh, that. Yeah. And then you end up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, yeah, and call, it utterly, utterly. Yeah. It utterly astonished. Me. <laughs> and then you start the next level hanging from your parachute above a German patrol. <laughs> but I mean, and, and you're back to the same old thing. That's fine. But. They caught me by surprise with that, and that's yeah. a win. Yeah, let me go back and follow up on what you're saying. Call of Duty 4 is a perfect example for that. Oh, then you're going to – Who ever thought the nuke. that you'd actually witness a nuke going off right after you complete a mission? You'd think everything's okay. All of a sudden, you hear your message saying, we have a possible nuclear device in the area. Please evacuate, and just right then, the, the thing just goes off. Yeah, and you die. It, it's just, oh, not, not really you die. You actually witness the last seconds of your soldier's life. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was kind of chilling because you did think you're okay. You just rescued a pilot or something, and you're like, okay, let's get the hell out of here. And then the the radio's like, oh, the we found the nuclear device. We're trying to uh, disarm it, and, uh, and then apparently not successfully. <laughs> I, I want to know how uh, Infinity War's going to top that. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you, they got to do something phenomenal for Modern Warfare too. Well, it's hard to top a nuclear explosion. I mean, at Ground Zero, it's pretty <laughs> spectacular looking. So, um, on innovation, the only thing that I was going to bring up uh, was I've been playing. Now, this is funny because this is a sequel. Uh, so, I don't know, are, Nate, am I allowed to mention an innovative title that's leapfrogging on a previously innovative title? <laughs> if, if you'd like to, go ahead. Well, it's uh, Majesty Two. I was playing, and you know, it's mm-hmm. based on Majesty, which we reviewed nine years ago. And they totally changed the way that real-time strategy games work because you have absolutely no direct control over any of your units. You're the king, and you can create your heroes and things like that, but they don't have to listen to you. And if you want them to do something like go attack a a graveyard that's spawning skeletons, you have to put a reward flag out there and put money on it and hope that they are hungry enough to go out and do your bidding. Um, mm-hmm. And that game was awesome when it came out because – and people were used to by that point nine years ago, the RTS craze was really at the top of the field. And people were like, okay, mine trees – or chop trees, mine gold, <laughs> you know, tank rush. You know, They had it down. And then this came out and it's like, wait a minute. I don't have any control over any of my units. And I, I thought it was, it was really neat. And then Cyberlore Studios, which we were actually good friends with uh, at the time. They went out of business. It looked like Cyberlore – it looked like Majesty was dead. And Paradox said, hey, that was really cool. That was really innovative. They bought the rights, uh, did a competition among developers, found a good developer, and developed the sequel. And the sequel is very much like the original. And the only reason it's really innovative is because in the previous nine years, nobody's even really tried to copy that mode of gameplay. 
Well, it, it might be that way because, you know, it didn't work. <laughs> no, I th- I think Mad She was pretty popular. I, I don't know. I I enjoyed it, but I'm I'm the type. It could be a situation like with Spore where, you know, some people don't like it or something. But I thought it was I thought it was neat. So so I liked it. So we've got uh we're uh, we're getting down to the end of our uh, of our allotted time here in the Gin Lounge and um it sounds like Todd it sounds like you're not a super cheerleader for the industry on this one but you found a couple things that have been innovative at least to to keep you going for a while. Right. Yeah, a couple things I'm looking forward to uh when I had an update come up on Xbox Live today. Mm-hmm. What uh, was announced at E3, they're actually uh, integrating social networks into games. Oh. They're going to incorporate Facebook and Twitter onto uh, certain games. In fact, I think you're getting Uncharted 2 in the near future. I should be, yes, yes. I mean, that should be integrated into um, into Twitter as well. So I can type, hey, I'm stuck on this cliff ledge. What do I do? And my Twitter buddies will will, <laughs> will, will tell me. or, or it- Very much. I wonder if I'll do it automatically. I haven't looked in any detail in there. Yeah, I can't imagine in the middle of a firefight, you know, pausing to send out a little tweet to yeah. one of your friends. Yeah, and also, characters. Yeah, 140 also, characters. <laughs> yeah, I hate that limit. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, I know some games are coming out with unique controls. Uh, Tony Hawk's Ride's going to be coming out soon. It's going to feature that skateboard controller. Oh, with the actual skateboard. Now that that they had a skateboard controller in the arcade for a while. Remember that game was called like 720, I think it was. It was Top Skater. Top Skater, right, right. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to work on the 360. I don't know if you can need a little camera for that, or God help us when the next year when Project Natal gets released. Right. That should see how that gets integrated into that. That should that should spawn some innovation. So maybe maybe we just have to wait, Nate, until. Uh, until something else comes along, some new technology, because our industry, it seems like technology sort of advances the innovation more than the standard storytelling advances the innovation. Because yeah, even oh, the yeah, we- I mean, oh. I mean, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I don't think it's necessarily a good state of affairs, because the better a story is, the more immersive the game really becomes. Uh, the what Todd is talking about with the Twitter stuff there mm-hmm. is really allowing the players to immerse themselves with each other. And that's that's useful. I mean, it's not really breaking much new ground. And folks, I freely admit I don't really get the Twitter thing. And my suspicion is it'll be usurped by something else in a couple of years. You know, like you know, we went Friendster, MySpace, Facebook, Twitter. You know, these things come and they go. Yeah, and all you have um, to do is think of the next big thing, Nate. <laughs> yeah. I thought I had it. Here. <laughs> that's true. Well, the show the show is doing really well, and uh, I just wanted to say hello to everybody who's listening to us over on iTunes. And uh, if you um, people out there in listener land have come up with an innovation or or, or a uh, experienced an innovation in the game industry, played a game and said, hey, that's really innovative, like Todd's breaking of the fourth wall there on the, on the Batman game, send us an email. We'd, we'd love to hear from you, and maybe you can open our eyes, and if you've got a, a good story to tell, we will definitely have it. Uh, we'll feature it in one of the next shows. And that's, uh, the email address is ginlounge at gameindustry.com. So let us know, and we would love to uh, to hear from you. So, guys, thanks for being in the lounge today. And for all of our uh, listeners out there, we hope that all of the games that you play have at least fleeting moments of innovation to keep you happy. <laughs> Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.